0: amen thank you guys good morning redemption parker good Good to see you guys i had to take off my jacket earlier i wasn't sure if i was hot or if this uh sermon about hell was heating me up but uh here we go um well if you're new here welcome my name is rick i'm one of the elders if you would, you, you can start turning your way uh, to Acts chapter 2. We'll be there in a little bit. Acts chapter 2. What about Buddha, bro? This is what my little brother said to me as we sat on our beds which were really just mattresses on the ground next to each other. He he was 17. I was 19. We were best friends, but now something was different. As He was watching his brother devour a Bible. I can imagine some of his thoughts. "Uh, You don't read, Rick. And why are you going to church? We, We don't go to church. And why don't you want to get high with me anymore? What happened to my big brother. So, what about Buddha, bro?" he said in An annoyance. My response, "What about Buddha?" <laughs> I really had no response. Never heard the word apologetics before. I had been a Christian for about a month, and quite frankly, I didn't know much about Buddha or his teachings. All I knew was this: because of Jesus, I'm not who I used to be. So, yeah, what about the Buddha? Looking back, I actually liked my answer, what about Buddha? I wish I would have answered, Buddha is dead, bro. So is every other religious and philosophical leader throughout history. They all died. Whatever anyone wants to say about the teachings of Buddha or Muhammad, Gandhi or whoever they're all dead ultimately death is king death rules, death reigns death is undefeated they say two things in life are certain death and yeah there we go taxes, well with a clever accountant and maybe some offshore finances one could theoretically cheat the tax man but we can't cheat death though we certainly try just 2 weeks ago i overspent on a promising new multivitamin and just this last week started reading a book outlive the science and art of longevity cuz like yourself i don't want to die in this country we don't even want to appear to be aging right in, in, um, Americans each year spend about $17 billion on cosmetic and plastic surgery. It's safe to say we are trying to hide the inevitable. That we are all dying. Like Woody Allen said, death doesn't scare me. I just don't want to be there when it happens. There's a normal fear of death that we all carry. Death is natural. Death is not natural. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree, God cursed them with death. Death is our enemy. And nobody, especially in a place like Parker, wants to talk about it. We all want to live our lives as if it's not coming. One secular author in his book he wrote while dying, When Breath Becomes Air, a really good book, said, Death comes for all of us. It is our fate. Most lives are lived with passivity toward death, but death always wins. Even if you are perfect, the world isn't. The secret is to know the deck is stacked, that you will lose. I think he's on to something there, but but man, that's pretty grim, right? Talk about discouraging, hopeless, really. The secret is to know the deck is stacked, that you will lose. Wow, so I guess I'll just eat, drink, and try to be merry because death is right around the corner. That sucks. Unless death doesn't always win. Unless death is not undefeated after all. If someone descended to the dead defeated death and rose victorious. Hmm. Could this bring the hope that we need to the reality of our impending death? I mean, we all like a good descent story, right? From Harry Potter and him descending through the pipes and, and, and into the chamber of, of secrets to defeat the Lord Voldemort. To Maui in the movie Moana. As he enters the realm of the monsters to defeat his enemy, right? (sighs) Can't forget Lord of the Rings and Gandalf. As he descends into the depths of Moriah. Sacrifices his own life to defeat the enemy. Only to rise again and save Middle Earth. We all want our heroes to descend to the underworld. Destroy the enemy And save the world at last. But are these heroes only found in Hollywood's best movies and our favorite fictional books? I don't think so. The greatest descent story ever told actually happened 2,000 years ago and has been recited in the Apostles' Creed for the last 1,800 years by the church. That our hero, King Jesus, quote, descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, end quote. Thus far, in our creed, we have only seen the, the humiliation of Jesus. Namely, his incarnation, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And his brutal death, he suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. Well, today, we begin to see his exaltation through his descent and resurrection. And my prayer is that as we look into a quite neglected doctrine, at least in modern evangelicalism, the doctrine of the descent, and we also look at a doctrine that many of us have just grown quite numb to in the resurrection, that we would be surprised with hope. Because, well, friends, death has died. Just a reminder, though though we are working our way through the Apostles' Creed this summer, that the Creed's authority in your life is a derivative authority. Just like the light coming from the moon is a reflection of the sun, the the theology stated in the creeds is simply a reflection of the authority we have from Scripture. Our authority is rooted in the Word of God, sola scriptura. The creeds have authority in our lives in as much as they derive that authority from the inspired Word of God. Amen? Amen. But the creeds have been used throughout church history and affirmed by the universal church as guardrails for orthodoxy, deriving their authority from the Word of God. So it is very postmodern, immature, and quite frankly, ignorant to say no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible. Because like Mark already said, that's just an awful creed that's not in the Bible. Well then, what do you do with the phrase that we come to this morning? He descended to hell. You might be thinking, I never went to seminary, but I'm pretty sure that is not in the Bible. And I'd say, you're right. Jesus descending to hell, hell as the eternal place of torment, is not in your Bible. So what are we talking about? I I, I met with my advisor this week, Craig Blomberg, who many of you guys will remember from our theology on the ground. And I, I told him that I'll be preaching on the descent this week. He said, Get Jesus out of hell, Rick. One friend of mine who I respect, who pastors an awesome Acts 29 church, when they preached through the creed, he just cut it out. They didn't recite it, and he didn't preach it. Others who I highly respect, like the reformer John Calvin, or or the modern preacher Matt Chandler, he would preach it. They would preach it. He descended to hell, but turn it into a metaphor. The wrath of God... The separation from God, well, that's hell. And so, yes, Jesus descended to hell. Okay? That kind of makes sense. Some modern theologians would say he descended to hell basically means he came to earth. This is speaking of his incarnation. Or hell is just another way of saying the grave. But let's look at the creed in its context. I'm fine if you choose one of those interpretations. I I don't think this is a hill we must die on. But let's wrestle with what the church for the last 1800 years meant by this line. Now we love our, our Good Friday and Easter services, and rightfully so. But do we even know what happened on what the church has called Holy Saturday. So let's read this line of the creed in context. We'll start a few lines before. Sweet. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to hell the third day he rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the father almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. You notice the order of events. If we can go to the next slide, he was born, he died, he was buried, he descended, he rose, he ascended and he is coming back. This is the gospel. And no, I don't think we should take this line out of the creed. It could be easy to, to, to make it a metaphor, but what if we made any of these a metaphor? We, we do need, though, t- to unpack this so I can explain to you how this is derived from Scripture. If he didn't go to hell, then where did he go? Go. So with that, let's go to Holy Scripture. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, open them up to Acts chapter 2. If you're not already there, Acts chapter 2. This is where we'll be launching off from this morning. Um, but we will be all over the place. Um, and I do want to say up front, if you thought the virgin birth was weird or the cross of Christ is weird, well, you're in for it. This is going to be the weirdest sermon but like we said a couple weeks back let's make Christianity weird again and it's going to take a lot of scripture and and doing theology to grasp this doctrine so I hope you're down to nerd out with me this morning in a little theology you guys look locked in there's coffee in the back feel free to get up at any point throw some water in your face do what you got to do this is not a typical sermon just had to throw my cards out So Acts chapter 2. We'll start here and then we'll go throughout the entire New Testament. I'll begin in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. Nor did his body see decay. Okay, a couple things. This is the first sermon that Peter preaches. So let's take what he says seriously. He's had 50 days for sermon prep after Jesus' resurrection. And now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. After he tells the people on the day of Pentecost that Jesus, according to God's plan, was killed. He tells them that God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Death itself was unable to hold on to Jesus, he says. But when he speaks of death, where does Peter go? Psalm 16 he goes to King David, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Or if you have an ESV, you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or if you look up the reference in Psalm 16, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Hmm. What is going on here? Peter seems to be preaching that, that Jesus, as prophesied by David in Psalm 16, will not have his soul abandoned in Hades, Sheol, or the realm of the dead. This implies that Jesus goes to Hades, Sheol, or the realm of the dead. Now you've got to understand a little Jewish cosmology This realm to us sounds super weird, but it wasn't to them. For the Jew in the Old Testament and in the time of Jesus, this is how they saw the afterlife. Heaven above where God dwells, earth below, and then the underworld. Or in the Old Testament, Sheol. Or when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, the Septuagint, we get the word Hades. Take this in for a moment. And I'll say it again, this is probably the most theological sermon I've ever preached. But again, you guys are locked in, so let's go. And also, I mentioned this at our members' meeting last week, but... Redemption Institute will be launching, um, what we're calling the chopping block. You throw it up there at the next slide, the chopping block where we're going to dive into one book a semester, have a running text thread, and just meet up one time at the end to chop it all up. Now our first book will be on this topic. It's called he descended to the dead by Matthew Emerson. So you may have more questions after this sermon. Feel free to jump into that, into the chopping block. All right, we need that little break. Let's get back to Hades. Or Sheol, or the realm of the dead, which is my favorite translation they use in the NIV. When Hades in the Apostles' Creed was getting translated in early medieval Latin, Inferna, which would translate with something like <clears throat> infernal or hell. Well, in early Latin, the term was synonymous with inferas, which is the word they would use for Hades or the realm of the dead. You guessed it, lost in translation. This was a big mistake made by a 4th century monk named Rufinus. It's much more appropriate to translate the creed, he descended to Hades, or he descended to the realm of the dead, because that's what happened. So some translations of the creed will say, he descended to Hades, or he descended to the realm of the dead. But even if it's translated hell, we must understand what that word means in this creed. Because Jesus did not go to the hell We think of when we think of that word. Blomberg is right to say, get Jesus out of hell. He doesn't belong there. And quite frankly, for Jesus to have gone to hell is actually impossible. Given the simple fact that that hell is still future. The unrighteous in the realm of the dead are sitting in a holding room waiting for their future judgment. Judgment to be thrown into the lake of fire, hell. This idea of Jesus descending to the realm of the dead, though it sounds strange to us, is actually uncontested in early church history. Not only is it right here in the Apostles and the Athanasian Creed, but it's a doctrine held by all the church fathers. And even one of the doctrines they use to attack an early heresy known as Apollinarianism, which said that Jesus didn't have a soul. The descent of Jesus' soul to Hades is part of the story of Jesus. And whether I can convince you or not of this doctrine, I do hope you can see as we're about to jump all over the New Testament that Jesus experienced death as all humans do. This is at the heart of the descent. Whereas as Matthew Emerson says, he did not just experience dying only to rise again moments later, but he actually remained dead in the grave. He did not simply have his breath expire and then immediately rise to glory, but his body was buried and his soul departed to the place of the dead. Because he is God in the flesh, he defeated the place of the dead and the grave by descending into them and then rising again on the third day. In the long Christian tradition, this hope is known as the doctrine of Christ's actual descent. So let's keep moving. Up next, let's go to Jesus. You don't have to turn your Bibles there because we will have it on the screen. Although you can if you're a quick turner. Um, But I do want you to see from the entire New Testament what it says about the descent. To see if this line derives any of its authority from Scripture. Or if this is all nonsense. And if that's the case, let's stop reciting this line. Amen? Amen. We won't spend a ton of time on each, pa- on each passage, so write it down and study it later. Feel free to reach out if you want to grab some coffee and descend even deeper. Um, but up first, we'll have Matthew 12. Matthew 12, starting in verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now a Jewish understanding of the afterlife would see that the heart of the earth in a different light than most of us, but, but, but in the book of Jonah He he makes it clear even to us. In Jonah chapter 2, as he's praying for deliverance, he's in the belly of the fish, and what does he pray to be delivered from? You can read it later, but it's Sheol, the abyss, Hades, the realm of the dead. Jesus is saying, I am going to die. I am going to descend And I'm going to rise. As one commentator says, the primary meaning of the sign of Jonah is the correspondence between Jonah's experience in the belly of the sea creature and Jesus' experience in death, his descent to Hades. Still not convinced? It's okay. Let's go to one of Jesus' parables. Luke 16 Starting in verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And that's kind of weird. What place is Jesus talking about? It's, it's interesting, as often as his followers ask him questions when he's giving a parable, there's no questions here. Jesus isn't making some place up. This is Hades, Sheol, where all the dead go. There's a righteous compartment, also known as Abraham's bosom or paradise. This is where the faithful Old Testament saints would go. Those who trusted in God, like Lazarus in this parable, to experience joy while they wait for the Messiah. But there's an unrighteous compartment where all the unrighteous go. Those like the rich man in this parable to experience agony and wait for future judgment. And there's a fixed chasm. One cannot just move from one compartment to the other. Hades and death, like New Testament scholar Patrick Schreiner says, is a holding room as the righteous and unrighteous await judgment it's interesting when jesus is hanging on the cross what does he say to the man next to him today you will be with me in paradise he's talking about the righteous compartment of hades Sheol, the realm of the dead the compartment known as abraham's bosom or paradise I mean, do you remember what Jesus said to one of the women after he resurrected that Sunday? Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Hmm. But I thought he told the thief on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise. That was Good Friday. How does he say on Resurrection Sunday, I have not yet ascended to the Father? because they did go to paradise. Paradise in Hades, the, the righteous compartment of the realm of the dead. Well, next up, the apostle Paul. Let's jump into a few of his passages and, and see what this theologian, this apostle, thinks about this idea of the descent. So we'll start in Ephesians 4. I'll pick up in verse 7. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to people. We'll come back to that. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Jesus descended to the lower earthly regions. Hmm. Well, couldn't this just mean he he came to earth? New Testament scholar Frank Thielman says, the lower earthly regions would be an odd way of referring to the surface of the earth. Huh. Well, what about Romans? Does Paul say anything about the descent in that beast of a book? He sure does. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 6. Paul says, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, or the ESV, the abyss, another translation, the underworld, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Well, that's interesting, Paul. Maybe this line in the creed, he descended to hell, translated, he descended to the realm of the dead, actually comes to us from scripture. That last phrase from Paul in verse seven, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. That word dead in the Greek is actually plural. Bring Christ up from the deads. In other words the place of the dead or drop down to verse 9 if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead or better yet dead, you will be saved Jesus died and then he descended to the place of the dead I can't get enough of Paul so one more passage many of us know from philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 9 after paul explains that the humiliation of jesus becoming a man and then dying on the cross he says therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven okay on earth for sure and under the earth hmm Maybe, hopefully, you're thinking, all right, Rick, maybe Jesus did descend to the place of the dead, to Hades, but what did he do there? Why did he go, and why does this matter? I'm glad you asked. So let's answer those questions by looking at the rest of the New Testament. One passage in the general epistles, and then we'll end with one passage in the book of Revelation. We're running out of time here, so got to move quick. We'll start in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll start in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Amen. That's that's the gospel, folks. Let me read that part again. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He continues. He was put to death in the body, okay, but made alive in the spirit. Verse 19. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Huh. Proclamation to the imprisoned spirits and then our second passage revelation one verse 18 Jesus speaking. I am the living one. I was dead and now look I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Why did Jesus go to the realm of the dead? What was the purpose of Jesus descending into Hades? Like my friend Brandon Washington says, we should change the name from Holy Saturday to Proclamation Saturday. Why? Because King Jesus is taking a victory lap. He's proclaiming his victory over death. He's releasing the captives who are waiting for him. Jesus came to die. He he, he experiences death as all humans do. But unlike all humans, Jesus defeats death. And so Jesus takes the keys of death and Hades. Jesus' exaltation has begun. And you thought the Denver Nuggets victory parade was a celebration. But... It's not a celebration for everyone. The imprisoned evil spirits and those in the unrighteous compartment of Hades, they see his victory and they tremble with fear. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you're in here and you're not a christian christ is not king i hope a sense of fear for your future would come upon you as well those in hades awaiting second uh, awaiting final judgment have no second chances but you today before you find yourselves there can turn from your sin can turn to Christ through faith and repentance. To those who were awaiting his arrival in paradise, what a party it was in in Abraham's bosom. Those who had hoped for Eve's promised seed, like Eve herself. Those longing for Abraham's offspring, like Abraham himself, Those waiting for Israel's Messiah, like Moses and all the faithful Jews prior to Christ. Those hoping for David's greater son, including David himself. Rejoice to see their king. It's party time. As he now leads the captives out. Like it said in our Ephesian text, he leads them out of Hades. Well, once he does one more thing. Early Sunday morning. Like our passage in Acts 2 that we began with this morning said in verse 24, God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So no, Jesus did not descend to hell. If by hell you mean the future place of torment. But he did descend to Hades, the realm of the dead. And he rose from there. Why does all this matter? Here's what Martin Luther said. For us, through Christ, hell has been torn to pieces. And the devil's kingdom and power utterly destroyed. That to accomplish this, he died, he was buried, and he descended. This is good news, church. Through a very neglected doctrine, I hope you are surprised with hope. Because, friends, our enemy, our enemy, death, has died in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We can now say with the apostle Paul, "Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting?" Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now imagine if we, redemption parker, lived without the fear of death. Like truly lived our lives without the fear of death. Well, we can because our king holds the keys to Hades and death. Do you believe the gospel? That that he died for your sins, that he descended to the place of the dead, and that he rose on your behalf? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you for Good Friday and Easter Sunday, as these truths are always on our hearts and minds as Christians. Lord, thank you for giving us this time to think through Holy Saturday. Jesus didn't just die, He descended to the dead that his exaltation begun as he led the host of captives out as he ran a victory lap amidst the imprisoned spirits Lord we thank you that, 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 that he is our only hope in life and death we thank you that we have life because he died we thank you that he holds the keys to Hades and death for us. Oh, we love you, Christ. Be glorified in this place, we pray in your name. Amen.